0: I guess it's just something about living on a farm. It seems like nearly every day, something turns up missing. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's gotta be fun while we're doing it.
1: And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of March 1st, 2012. I know what you mean, Lee. Um, The theme today is, what happened to that thing I can't find, or that thing I no longer have that I had yesterday?
0: So today's podcast just celebrates all the things we're missing and can't find. Yeah,
1: and you'll be surprised what falls into that category, (laughs) which is also the nature of living on a farm, I'm afraid. Um, we try to be upbeat as much as we can about this one, but some of this is actually pr- going to be pretty tragic. Um, we Let's start with the things that aren't quite so tragic or that had a good ending. Well,
0: it just seems like I must have paid for, used, and then lost a dozen utility knives. Somehow I've got to figure out a better way to keep, in- keep up with them. Uh, most recently, I had two brand new folding utility knives that you and I took to the uh, Japanese maple grafting workshop. Yes. And we used them some there. In fact, we used one of them to slice your thumb open. <laughs> it's
1: healing uh, nicely, by the way. And
0: mm-hmm. then they disappeared. And uh, yeah. But fortunately, that one has a happy ending. They did eventually turn yeah. up, and uh, we have them now and know where they are, but I've I have lost probably eight or nine others mm-hmm. that not I guess we'll never see.
1: Not including the one that was taken out of your uh, rucksack at the air, uh, Los Angeles airport. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to
0: count that one. That was embarrassing. I had a nice folding utility knife in my rucksack for some reason and attempted to board a plane, uh, I guess, in Atlanta.
1: It must have been Atlanta, that's right, because you would have left from here. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. the, and,
0: the a what's that TSA TSA staff spotted it and confiscated it so that one is one we know we will never see and at least we know what happened to it.
1: Yes, that's right. Although it was kind of sad when we asked the guy, well, does somebody get this? We hoped at least someone could make use of it and the he said, "No, we're not permitted to do that. It just gets thrown away.
0: They have to destroy them."
1: That was tragic to me because think of all the nice items they take away from people at least if it could be given to someone who could use it I'd feel a whole lot better but anyway that's a whole other subject.
0: We also have several locks that match each other and when we bought those locks it was like you know four or five locks we got that all match and all had matching keys and you know one key opens all five locks and uh, so forth. I think we're down to only copies of that original key now slowly surely we have lost all the keys that we bought that fit those locks Uh, we still have a couple of copies and we can still use them and but it's just kind of crazy that we keep losing keys to those locks
1: and the flip side of that is i have a ton of keys that i have no idea what they go to it's not those but and and i'm you know how you're afraid to throw away a key if you're not sure what it fits that you might not run across that lock or that door again. Yeah,
0: who knows what locks from our history uh, are going unkeyed at this point, <laughs> right. but um, we'll never marry those keys with their appropriate locks in all likelihood. I had a very nice torpedo level that I bought fairly recently, like within the, you know, after we got down here, after we started farming and it's just disappeared. Don't have mm-hmm. any idea what happened to it. I've al- I've lost who knows how many screwdrivers for some reason my phillips head screwdrivers tend to stay home better my what i tend to lose are flat blade screwdrivers Mm -hmm. and i probably have lost four or five flat you know good flat blade screwdrivers okay this next one has a happy ending i put on our list to talk about in the on the list of things we've lost daikon radish seeds Because I haven't seen those things in more than a year. I know we bought daikon radish seeds, and I know I wanted to plant them. And I've been looking around and wondering what happened to them. And when you saw them on the list, you said, well, gosh, I know where they are.
1: Because I have a seed bin. I have a bin that stays out in this storage area, and uh, nice and sealed up tight. They've been down in there all this time. So so now
0: we have yay. the daikon radish seeds, and we just need to do a fertility test with them before we uh, right. s- sow them. Let's talk a little bit about that fertility test, just in case people are curious. Uh, the way we're going to do a, util- uh, a fertility test is to uh, take 10 or 12 of those seeds. Right, uh, preferably about
1: a- 10, so you can do your math more easily. Okay. You, know, you get a percentage that way. All right.
0: Do a warm, moist um, paper towel. Paper mm-hmm. towel, and put them in a dark place for ten days. or Yeah, you or so. just roll
1: them up and put them in a ziploc and put them. Just yeah, out somewhere in a out in the not in the refrigerator though. You want them out. Oh yeah, you yeah. need them
0: in a warm place, mm-hmm. and um, then come back after ten days or so and see which ones sprouted. You're not trying to make any plants, so it's not like you've got a hang on to them or protect their viability or whatever. Right.
1: But you get a percentage that way or you get a, a, a you get a rate, if you will. Um, so a, if 9 of the 10 yeah, were to rate.
0: sprout, then you know you're probably going to be looking at 90% germination mm-hmm. or close to it. Yeah.
1: So or I whatever. think we should do that. I also found some really old basil seed the other day that I thought, you know, I want to plant some basil. And if this is halfway, you know, able to germinate, I'd rather than go out and buy some more, I'll try that. So I'm going to do a germination test on that too.
0: Uh, And now this next one is one that has invoked a good bit more consternation.
1: Yes, it's very sad. I planted a couple of, about a week and a half ago, um, some spring veg, early spring, uh, some collards, some cabbage, uh, cauliflower, even some lettuce. And uh, we went away for the weekend. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Came back. It was all gone. Not a trace. Even the big old cauliflower plants, which were, you know, fairly good size, gone. Lettuce eaten down to the ground. So we have obviously some kind of critter out there and engorging itself on my little plants. Oh, no.
0: We have a time-lapse camera. And we thought about putting it up. The problem is it works only during the daytime. Yeah, and so
1: what we need is a wildlife. We suspect
0: that this critter is at least partially, perhaps totally, nocturnal.
1: Right. We haven't seen them during the day. So
0: if we put a, a time-lapse camera out there that gets no usable results at night, then we may never know anything about what's going on out there. So And, and we own a wildlife camera that our children bought right. for us. The problem is it went on the fritz quite some while ago and has not worked for a long time. So you and I decided, okay, we're just going to go ahead and break down and buy another wildlife yes. camera, the kind that is sensitive to motion and will take a picture when it senses motion in front of mm-hmm.
1: it. And that way we can put that out there in the garden at night or you know, when, when we close up for the day and just see what we get. See what we find out. Now, you didn't get the most expensive one, right? This one that we're ordering
0: is $80 or so, which is nothing nothing to sneeze at. But um, you can get really spiffy with a wildlife camera. The one that I briefly considered or looked at is called Reconyx. I'll link to it on the show notes page. But it was like $550. So I just decided... It's not that valuable to yeah. us uh, We'll we can we can live with the cheaper version. Uh, what you give up is the clarity in your nighttime photos and the range that you can take a picture in at night. Um, fortunately for us we're dealing with things going on in the garden, not out in, in a deer plot so I, I don't think it's going to be a big problem for us to use this less expensive can So
1: we'll we? try it. And as soon as we find out what critter or critters are out there causing the damage, we'll let you know.
0: And then have to figure out what to do about it. Yeah. Obviously, just knowing what it is is not going to solve the no. problem. That just get, tells us more about how to solve it. That's
1: right. And as a matter of fact, I grew very depressed the other day as I did my research about squirrel control. Because and we know we have squirrels. We know we have squirrels. If the damage is coming from squirrels, it's very difficult to control. They're so small that to keep them out of the fence in any way, um, is, that's not going to happen and they can climb over it anyway. They burrow. So you have to destroy their burrows if you can find them. Um, and. and they, breed incredibly, they breed incredibly fast. They breed incredibly fast. you're never going to get rid of all of them because new ones will just come along to take their place. I've been reading that, um. Yes, a dog or a cat, we do have a dog, can help run them off. But, of course, he stays inside with us all night anyway. And and, truth to tell, he may scare them, but he's not going to, he's not really a threat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the other factor is just, we know that, yes, one thing that would control them is if a hawk were sitting there 24-7 watching the garden. Hawks would have a field day. But, you know, you can't really can that's not doable. There are hawks in the vicinity, but they're not zeroing around the garden just yet. And not Maybe, on
0: our payroll.
1: They're not on our payroll. So it would be nice if an owl or a hawk or some kind of predatory bird would just come hang out for a while. But barring that, we may have to go to some other kind of, yes, if they're burrowing, I'll have to destroy their burrows, but we might be able to use some sort of um, uh, netting or cage over the veg or... Row cover, we'll just have to try all different kinds of things. Traps. uh,
0: There are several options we have, none of them particularly pleasant. But um, it makes no sense for us to try to do those options until we figure out what problem we have. And that's what we're working on now.
1: As far as um, other things that are being lost, this one is sad. Uh, We have live on some property that's bordered by some beautiful trees trees that we can see because of the the topography we can see them off in the distance up on the the next hillside they're it's not on our property and therefore we have no control over what happens to them unfortunately our neighbors have seen fit to start logging or something something's going on we're seeing we're hearing heavy equipment over there and this morning i looked at all the horizon i could see trees being felled so this is heartbreaking because not only do we treasure our view here and we hope it's not threatened, but just the loss of habitat for the animals. It's, it's just devastating to think uh, of the ecological damage that can occur um, when just going in and clear cutting or, or even even if they're selectively taking out pines. We know from the way this property looked when we, we bought it that um, usually reparation is not made by those people who log.
0: And the other piece of this, which you and I have discussed, is we see this as simply part of the future. As energy becomes harder and harder to come by, we know that people will begin cutting down more trees for firewood. So eventually there will be a decline in the quality of the forests surrounding us. And when that happens, it will have ramifications for us. It's harder for a forest to live and do well if it's not surrounded by other forests. Yeah. So it's not good news. Uh, but as I have told you five or six times today, there's not much we can do about it. Right. We're just having to adjust to that reality.
1: Yeah, So, but but we're hoping that the damage won't be too great right now. They'll maybe stay on the other side of the mountain over there. (laughs) So we'll we'll just, uh, but we'll keep you posted about that too.
0: Let's talk about Georgia Organics.
1: Yeah, on a happy note, we had a really good conference that we attended last weekend.
0: This was in Columbus, Georgia, which uh, is about as close as you can be to our farm and still be in the state of Georgia. So we decided that was too good an opportunity to pass up. And it was co-sponsored by the Alabama Organics Group, ASAN, Alabama Sustainable Agriculture Network. Yeah. So we um, decided to sign up for Georgia Organics sort of in lieu of going to Southern Sog this year, which is out in Little Rock and a little bit far for us yeah, to travel. Yeah, I
1: was sort of doing the balancing, like, you know, okay, drive an hour and 25 minutes to Columbus, Georgia versus how many hours to Little Rock, Arkansas? Ooh, eight? Probably
0: uh, oh, uh-huh. more than eight. Yeah, a, long, a long way. Yeah,
1: because just to get to Memphis would be... You know, six or six and a half. So anyway, this was an easy decision to make. And we're so glad we did. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Began the the, the event by going on a field trip to the Koinonia farm.
0: In near Americus, Georgia. Right. Uh, this was set up by Clarence Jordan, the author of Cotton Patch Gospel, back in either the 40s he or
1: started, 50s. It started in the 40s.
0: And this was a bastion of racial equality, and it's hard for those of you outside the South to have a to, to get a feel for just how long ago that is in racial terms. But here in the South in the 1940s, it was simply unheard of for whites and blacks to be doing anything on an equal basis.
1: Yeah, the Jim Crow laws were rampant, and uh, the fact, of course we know this every pretty much anybody knows the schools were segregated, water fountains, restaurants, buses. I mean the whole Rosa Parks story, everybody knows that, I'm sure. And so and that
0: was what, 1960s?
1: Yeah. By that by the we're talking about the sixties by the time that happened. So for a couple of decades, there was a group of black and white uh citizens living together on this farm, the Koinanea farm it has it's an intentional Christian community and the idea and and they lived communally sharing everything um Clarence committed Jordan to racial equality yes in fact Clarence Jordan was committed to paying all his workers the same black white Indian you know wh- whoever was on that farm equal pay um taking care of just everything and so it was it was a traumatic time, I think, for many of the people who lived there, because they were I mean, the worst case not just persecuted but shot at.
0: Yeah, it's um, there was it's just difficult for those of us living now to remember how much raw, open hatred there was at that time, targeted at any white person who would presume to live in anything like equality with a black person. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, a terrible time, a tumultuous time, a scary time. Um, and we, will, we all owe Clarence Jordan a debt of gratitude for being one of the true pioneers.
1: He really was. And so, so that was
0: fun. We yeah. had a great visit there. And, and we
1: should end on a positive note about that. There, the community's back even at has gone through some transition times, but it's back up and running. There are 11 individuals that we could count who are um, taking charge of everything. And it's, it is a farm. They're raising one of their uh, big products that they uh, market are pecans.
0: Yeah. And en- enjoys great support from the surrounding community. Mm-hmm. Now, They are obviously uh, considered to be the bulwark of the community that they are now, and people appreciate that.
1: And they're just right down the road from Plains... And we actually passed by the home of yeah. Jimmy Carter, our former president.
0: We also had a chance to work registration. It was fun to see how quickly we became knowledgeable at about Georgia what was Organics. going on at Georgia Organics. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, we became uh, authorities about you know how to do this or that, which was where fun. To, where
1: to find the session, meeting rooms, and that kind of thing. We also uh, found learned a little bit about their state organization over in Georgia and boy are they strong.
0: Yeah it's are just uh, so much stronger than our Alabama organization and that's no reflection on the good people who are working in the Alabama. No we're just getting started. ASAN. But golly Georgia Organics has been doing it a long time. They've got great support. They've got great history and it's just it was fun to be part of that.
1: It really was and after we had been to the Alabama fruit and grower Vegetable Growers Association meeting. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It was refreshing to be amongst organic growers, to be talking about taking organic approaches to managing pests, to managing weeds, to dealing with, you know, whatever challenges come your way, Um, just to know that there are people who are trying to empower each other and the community to uh, do a sustain or engage in sustainable agricultural practices,
0: and I just want to throw in one other thing before we get away here today. It was fun for me to reflect again on how much food you can grow in a tiny space. When you're when you go to something like the Alabama Fruit and Vegetable Growers, you tend to talk to people who are doing you know five acres of this or twelve acres of that. These are people at Georgia Organics who are growing, uh, you know, on a 100 feet by 50 foot
1: Yeah, because there, there's a lot of emphasis on urban gardens and community yeah. gardens where they have limited space.
0: And it's just, it, it pays to remind ourselves what you can grow in a four by eight bed if you do it efficiently and, and purposefully. Right. Um, with lots of labor, you know, it takes a lot of love and care. But you can grow so much in a tiny space if you set out to do so. So that was fun.
1: And what's great about that is you can inspire people even living in the suburbs. I mean, you, to do, at least have a garden. Do something. As long as you've got full sun, you can grow vegetables. And, in fact, I even went to some programs in which, you know, hot are hoop houses and aquaponics. There are all kinds of different ways now to grow vegetables, feed ourselves that, you know, it is, it's, it's going to be accessible to everyone if they want it. So thank you for joining us today. We hope you have a great week, and we look forward to
0: seeing you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest to goodness mail at P.O. Box 780446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleaffreeze.com. Thanks
1: for listening. See you next week.